Well, good morning to you all. Speaking of how great our God is, we're going to uh, continue our study of that, particularly in the uh, book of Revelation again. This week we are in chapter 12, so we're going to read all of Revelation chapter 12. So when you find it, would you please stand for reading God's word? Alright, Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God into his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for, for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we come before your throne of grace. Lord, looking to you to grant understanding. Lord, we we want to um, we want to see the truth that you're you're communicating here. Father, we we want to have a better understanding of your greatness and your power, your sovereignty over all, your ability to save, your ability to keep your people through uh, all of the uh, difficulties, troubles, afflictions persecutions that we might face in this world, all of, the, all of the tribulation, whatever form that it takes. Lord, we desire that our trust in you increase 
and that we might live accordingly so that just as John the Baptist said, we may decrease and Christ increase so that our lives may be hidden in Him. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for all the assurances that You have given us here. Again, bless this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Well, amen. Um, just to kind of uh, do what we, we typically do here, try to set the context a little bit, um, where we are at in the, in the progression of this book, um, and I'll see if I can do this real briefly, but re- remember, uh, after the Lord gave the letters to John, the letters for the seven churches, back in chapters 2 and 3, um, then all of the focus shifted heavenward. And God, uh, or John rather, saw uh, a throne, and one seated on the throne. And that, of course, um, was a vision of God, and, and it was a, a way of communicating God's, God's total rule uh, over all things, His power, His authority, His majesty and glory. And so, remember, we, 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 uh, we read about the heavenly host uh, praising, praising Him, ascribing all glory and honor and praise to Him. And the one seated on the throne was holding in His hand a scroll. Your translation may say a book, but, you know, in those days they didn't have the leaf form like we have today. So it would have been a scroll. And you get over to chapter 5, um, and there's a search for someone who is... Able to open the scroll. The scroll is rolled up, of course, and sealed with seven seals. And there is lament because nobody is found worthy to open the scroll. And we're told that search is made in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And it's just a, a, a way of communicating that um, thorough search is made. Nobody is found worthy. But then there comes a pronouncement as John is weeping. Weep not, he's told. For behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. Now, we talked about that at the time and how uh, it seems that the scroll represents uh, the unfolding of human history, uh, in particular the end, so that it, it, you could sum it up this way, and this is the way I've typically said it. It is... The, the bringing of all things to their ultimate end. The bringing of all things to their ultimate end, including the judgment of the world and the full reward of God's people. Or you could say the fullness of salvation for God's people. The just judgment of the world and the full Blessing promised to God's people. The realization of the full blessing promised to God's people. So that's where everything is headed. Judgment and salvation. All right? So that's, that's what the scroll seems to represent. You know, getting there. And who is able to get us there? Well, there was one found worthy. And he's pictured again in chapter 5 as a lamb slain. And that, of course, is a representation of Jesus the only unique, only begotten Son of God, who John tells us in his, in his gospel, who became flesh. 
and dwelt among us, pitched his tent among us. God, God became flesh. He took on humanity and he lived among us. And John says, and we beheld his glory. And why did he do that? Well, it was to live and die in our behalf. In that, uh, in his life, he accomplished the righteousness that you and I could never accomplish. He fulfilled perfectly all of God's commands. He fulfilled perfectly the letter of the law and the intent of the law that others had uh, so often missed in, in many cases. He always, by his own testimony, and it was right testimony, he, he always did what was pleasing to the Father. He lived a perfect life. And then he suffered as a sinner... He was not a sinner, but he suffered as a sinner. In other words, like a sinner, deserves to suffer. At the hands of sinners. And he was crucified. And while on the cross, took upon himself the wrath of the Father. The punishment that justly belonged to you and I. He took upon his self, and then rose again from the dead. So that Paul says later in Romans, he was declared to be the Son of God with glory by the resurrection of the dead. That is, uh, the resurrection validated everything that he did, validated all of his claims, validated all of his actions. It proved that he had indeed done all things um, that were pleasing to God. He had never violated God's will, God's law. And that He truly did take our sins upon Him and provide, in the offering up of Himself, provide a sacrifice sufficient to pay the penalty that you and I owe so that we could go free, so that we could have eternal life. He conquered sin and death in our place. And because of all of these things, the declaration is made back in Revelation chapter 5 that He is worthy. He's worthy, therefore, to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And then we, we've gone through the seven seals. And remember when we were back there, we mentioned that the first, uh, the first six seals, and, and you think in particularly of the, the four horsemen that we talked about and the, the plagues that they represented, really was, was just, I think, a way of communicating um, what goes on in this life. Famine, wars, death, the, the, the things that we have to deal with as long as we live in this world. And then the seven seals brought us right up to the end with the, with the last seal. And that, of course, began um, the seven trumpets that we've been talking through the last few weeks and, and the, uh, the judgments associated with them, which, which seem to be um, the tribulation at the very end of the age. In other words, those things that have been happening all along, like, uh, for example, wars, and, and uh, Jesus uses the term wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in diverse places, all these kinds of things, um, and man setting himself against one another, you know, fighting each other, disease, famine. Those things that have been happening all along increase, intensify, along with God's judgment being poured out 
on the world uh, in a in a uh, in a uh, more, I guess, tangible way. You know, there, there are ways that uh, God's judgment are, is 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 coming now, according to Paul in Romans uh, one, but it's not always recognized. But then it will be fully recognized. Nobody will be able to, to deny, you know, that something something extraordinary is is going on. And so we've 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 come all the way up to what seemed to be the last of the last days, and we've talked about that quite a bit, where where the tribulation. Um, of this world intensifies. Now, I think what we have here uh, is, an, is another interlude. You know, in, in other words, if you're thinking of things in kind of a, of a, of a chron- chronological order, which, which again, is, is, is uh, a little dangerous here. I've tried to mention that several times because there's a lot of repetition here where he seems to be telling the same story over and over and over. But we have been making a, somewhat of a progression and this seems to be a, an, an interlude in that progression where it's almost like, once again, the, the, the camera's pulled back, you know, the lens is widened, and we get this big picture view that kind of helps us understand, of, uh, understand something about why all of these things are happening. Why are there wars and rumors of war? Why, why, why is there persecution for the Christian in this world? Why doesn't the world love us? <laughs> What's going on? What's behind that? Well, we're getting in some insight here uh, in the next, um, next couple of chapters. And here it's, it's presented in, in chapter 12 um, with some fascinating pictures and language. Now, I, I love to read... But unfortunately, when I was younger, I didn't love to read so much. And so I missed out on reading a lot of things that a lot of you uh, probably read because you, you were assigned it in school or you just heard it was good and, and you read it. And, uh, you know, uh, I just I didn't do that. You know, I didn't, I didn't read what I was supposed to read and I didn't read other stuff, you know, uh, pretty much, uh, generally speaking. I saw it, so I missed out on a lot. So things like the Chronicles of Narnia, that a lot of people would have read in childhood uh, are um, Lord of the Rings. Uh, I, I'm now a fan of, but it's the movie versions that I know. Okay, <laughs> and I do love to read now. I just don't have a lot of time uh, to uh, to spend on. Uh, I guess reading for entertainment. I, I, I get great joy out of reading the Word of God, and I get great joy out of reading theology and uh, you know uh, various kinds of theology and, and things that, 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 that'll you know help me study. Not that those things are, don't help at all because they do, but, but, I, but I just try to be a little more focused because time is, is um, you know, there's, there's just, I'm short on time. Uh, but I would love to go back and read those books. Um, but I, but I, I bring them up because, uh, and, and Lord willing, you know, maybe I'll get to. You remember when Chad Brand was here? Uh, was talking with Chad Brand. He's read Lord of the Rings 32 times. <laughs> the, the whole series, 32 times. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, he's pretty familiar with the story. But, I, I don't know, I could probably say that about Andy Griffith, but uh, but not, not Lord of the Rings, you know. So, <laughs> and it shows, doesn't it? I mean, you know, unfortunately. It's kind of like that you are what you eat, so... All right, so I bring that up about the books, not to just be silly, but because the imagery there 
that those authors use is pretty fascinating, isn't it? In fact, uh, you know, we, we, were, we watched these Hobbit movies, and, and uh, I, I think I like the, the Lord of the Rings series better, but, but the Hobbit movies are good. And there's one in particular, um, I think it's called Return of the King, where they, they go back to the mountain where the dragon is, and they take on the dragon. And this is probably my favorite scene in the whole series when, when at the end of that where the dragon is flying. He's, he's going to destroy uh, Lake Town. If you're familiar with it, you know what I'm talking about. But he's on his way to this, this and, you know, this is a fire-breathing dragon, and the effects are pretty good. I mean, they're, they're, it's a, come a long way, you know, since the Star Trek days. The effects are pretty good. So you've got, you got a fire-breathing dragon. He's on his way to destroy Lake Town, and, and he, as he's flying, he says in this, you know, low, <coughs> demonic voice, which I can't replicate, um, or how we imagine a, a demonic voice, I should say, which I can't replicate, but, he's, but he says, I am fire. I am death. And, and that's how the movie ends, and it's pretty, pretty dramatic. Well, you know, those things are kind of fascinating, aren't they? That's, that's what we've got here. Th- that kind of imagery, that kind of, of, of picture uh, that, that John is using to describe what he's seeing here. Mythological language. Mythological language. The, the, what he's seeing is, is real things being um, shown him, things that are going to happen, things that are going to play out. So this is not myth in the sense that um, uh, this is just given to us, you know, to like to communicate some, uh, some point or some story. Um, these, these are real things playing out, but they're pictured with this, with this um, symbolism. Let's walk through this a little bit, and then I'll just try to give you the main... In fact, let me give you what I think is the main point of this right, right now, and then we'll try to point that out as we go. That's not a special effect. That was just a, a, a bulb going out. But uh, <laughs> Here, Here's how I would say the main point in a, uh, in a sentence. The troubles we face in this life are manifestations of a spiritual war that has already been won by Jesus. Now, under that term, troubles, you can just put just about anything. Like, like I said earlier, afflictions, persecutions from the world, um, just troubles like disease, hardships. And I'll say it again. The troubles we face in this life are manifestations of a spiritual war that has already been won by Jesus. So, so two things there that are kind of interesting. One, there's this spiritual war going on that you and I can't see with the physical eye. It's behind what we do see. You know, maybe another way to think of it is like this. The, the, the reality that we do see and that we live is, is like um, symptoms of a, of, a, of a disease, you might say. In other words, if a, if a, if a person had a, a, a cancerous uh, sore pop up on their arm, uh, that's, that's a symptom. And the, the cancer is probably somewhere deep, you know, at the cellular level. And, and these symptoms begin to pop up that let you know the cancer is there. You know, there's something behind that. That's why the doctors, you know, they want to attack that. They want to attack the main thing, not, not, just, not just treat the symptom. So the troubles we have in this life... And, and, and uh, again, I think you, you can just put a wide range of things under that heading. But especially persecution, when you, when you think about um, Christians suffering persecution, what's behind that? 
Well, there's, there's a spiritual war taking place. And what we see and what we experience is just a manifestation of that in this world. Now, it's, I'm, again, I'm not talking about... We, we're using mythological language here, but we're not talking about uh, the, the thing itself being myth. It's real. This language is, is just a way of communicating, uh, and, and again, some, some, uh, some very picturesque uh, term, terms and terminology, a reality that is taking place that we can't see. You know, here you can, you can, you can, you can imagine you, in, your, in your head what, what John is describing here, so you can see it in that sense and you get some understanding, but you can't see the very reality that's going on. And so it's described to us here with this language. So again, main point, the troubles we face in this life are manifestations of a spiritual war that has already been won by Jesus. Now, I said uh, two things there. The first one being that that, that war is going on. The second thing is it's already been won. It's already been won. Now, I know you might say, well, okay, wait a minute. Why are we in the middle of a struggle in a very real, you know, physical sense in our daily lives um, when the war's already been won. Well, it's, it's part of this paradox that we've talked about lots of times. You know, the Christian life is, is a paradox probably in, in many ways. One way is this, that there's an there's a already aspect to it and a not yet aspect to it. So when we think about being saved, for example, or, or, or being in the kingdom of God, there's a very real sense in which that is already, that is now. I mean, if you are truly a Christian, that's because you've been born again. God has breathed life into you, spiritually speaking. He's, he's made you new, a new creature in Christ. That's already, that's now. But the kingdom in its fullness, which we're going to see, Lord willing, when we get over to Revelation chapter 20, the king, and 21, 22, the kingdom in its fullness where we, we live in the very midst of God. God dwells in our midst, very presence, where we have glorified bodies and where sin is no longer part of our experience and tribulation is no longer part of our experience. The enemy is no longer part of our experience. All of that is, for us now, all of that is not yet. It's all part of our salvation, but it's not yet. We're not there yet. Christ has won the battle. He's won the war. And yet the full manifestation of that is not yet um, what we know. Now, let me just talk a little bit about some of the, the uh, imagery here. Um, first of all, in verse 1, it says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth, in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. All right, now I think, uh, kind of move through this probably a little quickly, but, uh, and, and again, as usual, if you have, uh, something you want to come back to or questions about something, we, we can, uh, try to take time to deal with that tonight. But I think what's being communicated here, as, as we've said several times, is, is, uh, uh, glory. You know, glory, glorious figure, glorious uh, glory and majesty. Uh, I, I don't know, for example, uh, if, the, if being clothed with the sun represents something specific that, that is being communicated there. But uh, 
probably just the idea of radiance, you know, glory. Uh, the sun and the moon, the moon reflects the glory of the sun, of course, and, and uh, in reality, head of, uh, on her head, crown of 12 stars. So there again, you know, you, you've just got an uh, 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 image that portrays glory and majesty. Um, I think the main point here, I think, I think what, what, what John is seeing in the, in, in the, this picture of this woman who's giving birth is, once again, the people of God. Just like we saw earlier on in the, in the, in the form of the 144,000, and then um, immediately after that, the innumerable multitude, remember that? Now, I think this is another way of picturing the same thing. In fact, what one writer, one author calls the ideal people of God, meaning this, that it's the true saints from all ages. So, um, the, what, what Paul calls in Galatians, uh, the Jerusalem above, which is the mother of us all, meaning all believers. So it's probably a way of, of picturing the church, the, again, not just the New Testament church, but, but all, of, all of the people of God. And from among the church, from among the people of God or the kingdom of God, um, emerges this child. Verse 2, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth and we'll see in a moment that that's, that is a, uh, the child that she's giving birth to is, is the Christ. Now, um, well, in fact, let me just jump to that. That's in, in verse, verse 5. It says, She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. If, if that sounds familiar, it's because we just read that in Psalm 2. One who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she, was, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. All right, notice she, she goes into the wilderness where God has a place for her to be nourished. So I, so I think what is being pictured here is the, the kingdom of God, the people of God, out of whom comes the Christ who, as in the vision here, you know, he's caught up to heaven. And the, the woman um, is in a wilderness where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. Or here it says 12, 1260 days, uh, which seems to correlate with the, the time periods we've already talked about. 42 months, 30, uh, three and a half years, and so forth. Anyway, I think what, what is pictured is the church in the world. The church in the world. Suffering tribulation, and yet at the same time being preserved and nourished by God, all right? He's, he's made a place for us in this world where we are to be nourished for a period, relatively brief period compared to all eternity that lies ahead of us. Now, there's another sign, verse 3. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. Now, this, of course, is what made me think of Hobbit movie. <laughs> a great red dragon 
with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. So, so here again, in, in this image, um, what is portrayed is something big and powerful. This time not, not beautiful, glorious, but, but big and powerful. Violent. Huge red dragon who is able with his tail to sweep down a third of the stars. And again, like I say, you just picture that playing out in your mind. Uh, and, uh, you know, you've got, you've got a, a, a fearful sight. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So he's pictured as waiting for her to give birth to the child so that he can devour it. So, so there, there's a picture of Satan, and we'll, we'll see that in a moment, but Satan making war against God's people and against his Christ. Remember Psalm 2 that we read a moment ago? Why do the, why do the nations rage, set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed or his Christ? Well, that's what Satan is doing. That's what, he's, that's what he's done since the beginning. He attacked Adam and Eve, and he's attacked the people of God ever since. Um, one, you know, one good thing about, about that and about knowing that is his tactics don't really change. So we, we, we can be, through the knowledge that we are given through the Scripture, we can be wise to his tactics. All right, but he's always about destroying the people of God. That's what he's wanting to do. Now here, as I said a moment ago, um, she bears the child in verse, uh, verse 5. One who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Again, coming from Psalm 2. The child is caught up to God, to His throne. The child is exalted. And the woman fled into the wilderness, so the woman is still on the earth. But she's given a place by God where she is to be nourished. Now, you go to verse 7. Now, war arose in heaven. So, in verses 1 through 6... You've pretty much got a picture of this conflict playing out on earth. Satan attacking the people of God. You know, they appear out of heaven. There's a sign that appears in heaven, a woman clothed. Um, but, but she gives birth. And, and then, you know, the dragon appears. And uh, he comes after her. And as he, as he comes down, uh, the child is then caught up into heaven. Uh, but but the woman is is uh, left to uh, in the wilderness to to be preserved and nourished. All right. So now verse seven, war arose in heaven. So the focus goes back to heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. So you you've got Michael. Michael was known as the kind of the the guardian angel for Israel. And you can read about Michael in, in Daniel. For example, I think it's Daniel chapter 10 and Daniel chapter 12. And then there are other um, uh, extra-biblical books like the book of Enoch that talk about Michael. Um, but he, he's, he's, the, he's like the guardian of Israel. And here he's pictured uh, like, you know, like a commander. You know? Here he's pictured with his forces fighting against the dragon in heaven. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, verse 8 tells us. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So, so the dragon and his angels cast out. Verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, 
that ancient serpent. Now he identifies him. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world. Now again, that's one of the the key themes in, in this book. That Satan is operating and he's deceiving the people of this world, often called um, the, the down dwellers, literally, but it's usually translated those who dwell upon the earth, right? And you've got this contrast all the way through the book between those who dwell upon the earth and those who belong to Christ, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of Satan are, are people who are deceived by the dragon. By Satan, the great deceiver. And the, the people of Christ, those who are in the kingdom of God, are those who have been saved out of that, right? So you've got that struggle going all the way through here. So this is who he is. He's Satan, the one who deceives those who dwell on the earth. In fact, uh, de- deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. The, the child has been born and the child has been exalted. He goes to heaven. And, and as I said earlier, I think the child represents Christ. But the church, the people of God, is still here in the wilderness being attacked by Satan, yet being preserved. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. And by the way, I think all of this is a, is a parallel. If you look back in chapter 11, verse 15 and 16, uh, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. All right, and so that's, that's something John wants us to get, that, that Christ rules and reigns forever. His kingdom is established, even in the midst of all of this opposition and tribulation. Let's go back to verse 10, chapter 12, verse 10. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. That's a reference to Satan. Um, I was, you know, I was reading, I was looking at Matthew Henry's commentary, and he, <laughs> uh, I don't think I wrote the quote down, but he was saying um, that we should, what we should do is go before God and accuse ourselves when we sin. In other words, confess our sin, and uh, you know, we wouldn't have to be so concerned with the accuser of the brethren, right? Uh, Satan, let's just go ahead and, and fess up to it. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Verse 11, and they have conquered him. Who is they? Well, the brothers. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice. In, in the middle of all of this, you know, this warfare that's being pictured, the, uh, the, the dragon is raging Yet, John gives us, by the Spirit of God, he gives us the end of the story. The the kingdom of Christ is established. The people of God overcome, that is, conquer by the word of the Lamb. 
by the word of their, uh, by the blood of the Lamb, rather, and by the word of their testimony. Therefore, rejoice, rejoice, O heavens! And I, I can't help but think, you know, you know, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. So, I, so I think that that contrast again is in view here when he says uh, those who are in heaven, not necessarily meaning people or beings that are actually in heaven, but all those who belong to heaven, all those whose home is heaven. Because the victory's won. The victory's won. So rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. He knows that his time is short. Now, now notice he's not, he's not painting any flowery picture about the seriousness of all of this and about the severity of, of, uh, of the, the wrath of Satan. His onslaught against the people of God. He goes on, verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she, she is to be nourished. Notice he mentions that again just like he did back in verse 6. Uh, into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. In chapter 6, he said 1,260 days, it's the same length, but 1,260 days, here he says the time and time and half a times, using language of uh, Daniel. The serpent, verse 15, poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. So he comes against the church like a flood. And I guess, you know, the, the best way to... Uh, to kind of get a grasp of that and, and the magnitude of it is, is, is I mean, you can, you, you can actually now go down to the Red River and, and get a, a, a pretty good idea of what water is able to do. But, uh, you know, a lot of times when I, when I think about uh, something like this, a picture like this, my mind goes back to the, the tsunami in Indonesia um, where 200,000 people died in one swipe of water, a wall of water. 200,000 people. December the 26th, 2006, I think. I think it was, uh, 2005, 2006. Um, so that's the kind of picture you have here. He, in other words, he is coming at the church with everything he's got. Verse 16, But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon, um, that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Now, just a couple things here before we dismiss. I mean, we're almost done here. Um, again, the imagery is fascinating. <laughs> and frankly, a lot of it is, uh, some of it is, is relatively easy to figure out. Some of it, John tells us. You know, the serpent, he tells us, uh, the, the dragon rather, he tells us who that is. It's the old serpent. It's, it's Satan, the deceiver. Um, and it's pretty easy to get the whole picture. And I think this is the main point, that what he's doing is attacking the kingdom of God. And he's coming like a flood with everything he's got. He, he, he's, not, he's not painting a, uh, a, a picture of, 
of um, ease and comfort. He's not painting uh, a picture where, that we might look at and say, ah, it's no big deal. There's real tribulation in this world. While, while Satan is pictured in, in mythological terms here, he is real. Well, we have a real enemy. Satan is real. The, the demons, the demonic host that is described here as his angels are real. And they are really out to destroy God's people. And so that plays out in a myriad of ways. Even things like sickness and disease, things like war, famine, things like men rising up against one another, uh, not only in war, but, you know, in personal conflicts, killing one another, hating one another. I mean, it, it takes on all kinds of forms. In, in terms of the church, we get attacked from the outside, and we have problems on the inside when the people of God fall for Satan's devices. He is constantly, Peter, Peter instructs us to be aware because he is constantly on the move like a lion seeking whom he may devour. The article I mentioned earlier, I think it was back there when I mentioned it, but this morning over in, in uh, Georgia, uh, the country Georgia, they, they had a flood and, and some animals got loose and uh, a lot of animals got loose, tigers and you know, lions and tigers and bears, you know, like they say, literally. And, and uh, so they warned people, get off the street, which, you know, they only have to tell me once. Get off the street because they're dangerous. And uh, there was a picture of some people that, uh, you know, didn't have a lot of sense, and, and maybe in my opinion, but they're, they're, they're herding a hippopotamus along the street. Trying to get him back. Uh, from what I've heard about those things, I, I you know, I wouldn't be uh, be trying to make him go anywhere he didn't want to go. But uh, they're telling people to get off of the street because the, they're dangerous. That's the that's the way Satan is portrayed, like a lion seeking whom he may devour. So, so Peter says we're we're to be aware of that. We're to be watching for that. Now, here's the good news. I got got to close with the good news here. Jesus wins. And because Jesus wins, we win. Look, look, let's look back at a couple of verses here. First, at, at the very end there, in verse 17, um, he says, On those who keep the commandments. He's making war. He's furious. And he's making war on the rest of the woman's offspring. And then he describes them as those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's who Satan is after, primarily. That's who, that's who he's coming at full force. Not that he doesn't destroy other people. He does. Uh, he does do that. But, uh, but there's also a sense in which he's, he's, he's already destroyed them. He's already got them. So he's coming at the church with everything in an effort to destroy the kingdom of God. So what is our hope? Well, let's go back to verse 11. And, and he just kind of interjects this in the, in the middle here. Um, and they have conquered Him. That is, the people of God. The, the brothers, He calls them here. But, but I think that's who's represented with, with the woman. The people of God, in particular the people of God that are, that are still on the earth, 
and have not gone on to be with the Lord, but those of us who are still here conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So two things here. How, how do we conquer Satan? How does John tell us we conquer Satan? Number one, by the blood of the Lamb. That's why I started out by saying a few seconds ago, Jesus wins. The only reason we can say we win is because Jesus wins, and we're, as Christians, we're in Christ. Our victory is, is due to the work of Christ. He came, took on humanity. He lived the righteous life that you and I cannot live. He died, and in His death and suffering, paid our penalty. He took upon Himself the penalty that you and I deserve. So, by His blood, that is, by His death, by the blood of the Lamb, we conquer. We conquer Satan, or overcome Satan, by the blood of the Lamb. Number one, that is by the work of Christ. And secondly, by the word of their testimony. Now, I'm going to try to kind of take that in a real literal sense here. Um, the, the word, and it's describing um, what kind of word, uh, the, the nature of it, um, the word of their testimony. Or you can say it this way. The, the, the term testimony there can also be translated witness. So it's by, by our witness, but, but in particular, the word of our witness. What is the word of our witness? It's like the, like the, the subject matter. What, what, is, what is our witness about? What are we witnessing to? And it's like, like somebody who sees a wreck, and what they witness to is you know, what, they, what they saw. I, I saw that guy pull right out in front of that lady. What are we witnessing to? What did, what did we experience? What do we see? What do we know? And it's, it's the message of Jesus Christ, the Word, the Gospel. We overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the Gospel message that we testify to, that we bear witness of, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. So when the accuser of the brothers <laughs> accuses, we can say, Yes, guilty as charged. But Christ came to die for sinners. Yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by the grace of God because of what Christ did in His life and death and resurrection. So they overcame Him, number one, by the blood of the Lamb, and number two, by the word of their testimony. The, the, the gospel that we... That, and when you, when you think of witness, think of two things. What we live and what we say. And those two things are, are really like two sides of the same coin. I mean, they, they go together. What we live and what we say. So our witness, what we live and what we say, is all about the gospel. Christ-centered, Christ-focused. For, I, gotta, gotta, I can't leave this out. And we're done. We get this next little phrase here. In other words, we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, by the word of our testimony, that is the gospel message, 
For they loved not their lives even unto the death. In other words, they, they were willing to bear witness to Christ even if it meant suffering and death. And in that suffering and death that the world looks at as defeat, John says that is actually conquering, overcoming. Every time you read about Christians being slaughtered by ISIS, for example, you can say, they overcame. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Because they did not love their lives, even unto death. What they loved more than their own life was Jesus. And in that, they overcome the devices of Satan. Would you stand, please? There's a cosmic conflict going on. And what you and I experience in our world, you know, the world we see and feel and touch, the trouble, the persecution, is, is, is just a, a manifestation in this world of what is going on in the spiritual realm, Satan attacking the kingdom of God. And the way that he does that, the way that he tries to overthrow God, the way that he tries to undermine God's plan, God's ways, is by attacking God's people. And that's why we have the trouble that we have. And, uh, of course, there's the whole factor. Uh, but, it, but again, this is still along with the work of Satan. But our, our, our sin, right? Because of our sin, we allow ourselves to be deceived. Well, let's, uh, let's dismiss, and Lord willing, we'll be back uh, here at 6 o'clock this evening, 5 o'clock if you're coming to the classes this evening, um, and pray for us as we go out to the prison uh, as well, if you would. Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word and for this truth uh, that You've given to us to encourage us, to strengthen us for endurance in this present age, knowing that in the end, we win. We win because Jesus has already won. So enable us now, Lord, to live for Your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.